All right, we're rocking. Let me just see if I can fix this one thing. Your chicken, your chicken head thing looks great, by the way. Oh, that's Mr. Bean. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Welcome to the Mock Stars Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Evan Kunai. Hi, it's so good to see everybody. I'm here with the other Mock Star, Christopher Ritter. What up? How you doing, Ritter? Good, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. I am ready to kick some ass today. We've got a pretty exciting show ahead for today. Uh, one, you can see my face. Hello, everybody. You can support the show by finding us on YouTube. You can hit that thumbs up, like, subscribe, and uh, yeah, do that whole thing. You can also find us on all major podcasting platforms. You can support the show by finding us on Patreon, where you can become an official pepperhead. For $3 a month, you can join the supporter tier and on our Discord server, which you can join in the link description below. You get your name turned Dr. Pepper Red. There aren't many cooler things than that. By becoming a supporter, you uh, also help make more of these episodes possible. So uh, thank you. Huge shout out to all of our supporters so far. You can also, this is a new thing, Ritter. I, I haven't said this yet and I haven't really brought this up, but we... This is new to me as well. This you isn't... This is a, a warning. Yeah, this is new to you. We also have an affiliate link, which I'll put in the description below, for Cora Labs, which is a 3D printing company run by one of my good buddies. And we have... Can caps available. So if you saw us at Las at MagicCon in Las Vegas, you will have seen us present one of the coolest items in Magic history: a can cap, which is a 3D printed little lid that goes on your Dr Pepper. And if a drink spills or a drink is to tip over on the table while you're playing Magic, it prevents that. It's got, it creates a seal around the on the on the edge, and uh, it's a great little product for magic players around the world and uh if you click the affiliate link anything you buy on there helps go to support the show uh yeah so that's pretty cool huh that's uh i remember you demoing that at MagicCon. yeah yeah <laughs> not a single drop of dr pepper was spilled no and so. uh it was incredibly popular people loved it today we have one pre-game action we are talking about the news that, well, may or may not be real. We don't know. But Mark Rosewater, in his monthly Q&A, was asked if there were any sets that were going to be, basically, is it possible that there are going to be sets printed in non-modern and specific and non-master specific sets? And he said that possibility is likely. Now, the community... So is that news because I feel like uh, Wizards... Uh, pretty openly is willing to print whatever people will buy. Whatever makes them money. Yeah. Right. I I mean, so that isn't, isn't that like non a, uh, it's not additional information. It doesn't confirm anything. I think (laughs) it doesn't, which is, which is kind of why this is uh, a necessary talking point is because it is the slow season in magic, the gathering world right now. And, what that means is that when someone says something that neither confirms nor denies it, the community would rather go for the nor denies part because it became 
basically headlines across Reddit and across multiple magic uh, platforms that a Pioneer Horizons was on the way. (laughs) And that is absolutely not true. (laughs) I mean, it's going to happen at some point, though, right? I you would you would imagine, but I feel but like this comment has no bearing on when that's going to happen. No, because Mark Rosewater then came out after the fact that it had exploded into something that he did not intend, and said, "No, no, 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 that's not what I meant at all. That's actually not even what I said." And I'm just neither confirming nor denying. And the community went, "Oh." That's what he meant. And ultimately, like you said, anything that is made for money or anything that could be printed to uh, better the stocks and financial standings of Hasbro will likely go into development. But this one in particular, there is a there's no mo- or Pioneer Horizons in the works at the moment, even though the player base would have to get a little bit larger, I feel like. Or it might actually help instigate more players to jump into Pioneer, because right now it's it doesn't it's not I think is one of the smallest formats that exists out there, and there aren't really events for it outside of like your LGS having something available. I mean, uh, I think that varies region to region too, because like that's the thing with like there's no real centralized like thing for Magic, right? It's it's the system is designed to be decentralized and according to your LGS. So there are places where Pioneer is popping, but it's definitely one of the like narrower formats in terms of popularity. Yeah, there's... Well, you might have a local meta that, that does it, but for the most part, it, it's not wildfire. The thing is, it's the wild, wild west of constructed formats right now. There's some really cool decks out there that are starting to make waves and that means people are starting to get on board. Like with Lost Caverns of Ixalan, there's one deck that really started to, well, it really piqued my interest, but it's that Amalia, the white and a black, whenever you gain life, you explore. And uh, and then when you're, when his power is 20, when it, the, it triggers and the power becomes 20, it uh, destroys all other creatures. And it has, mm-hmm. yeah, so... It's a crazy card, and there is now a combo with it because Wild Growth Walker, which is one in a green, whenever you explore, you gain three life. And so it's it's crazy because having those two on the battlefield at the same time, you go ahead, you gain life, you explore, and then it triggers this infinite loop where even if you reveal a land, you just you explored so you gain three life so you go ahead and you explore again and once you hit a non-land permanent or you want to stop the process you just keep flipping that non-land permanent over and over and over again and keep revealing it and then amalia basically becomes infinitely large or it's a 22 22 at the end of it and then you just Mm -hmm. one shot somebody so oh hell yeah yeah no i i mean I think Pioneer as a format is interesting in terms of like power level where there's enough cards that you can do cool stuff like that, right? And, uh, you know, it's different from modern because modern sort of stagnates and like modern horizons, the the new printing of cards is what changes the meta. Or like standard, you know, a new set might totally change the meta, right? Mm -hmm. But Pioneer is right in the middle of that where like you have a pretty stable card pool that's relatively large but does 
change kind of frequently in terms of like, you know, how the meta like fluctuates. So, yeah, this one like Pioneer right now, it being essentially untouched, like they've only had no horizon set has quite touched it yet. That's what a lot of people contribute the death to modern for is like when they started printing these modern horizon sets, they were like, modern's really not fun to play anymore because it's whenever one of these sets comes out, you buy those cards and then all of a sudden you have the top tier deck and then the cards slowly get out of a realistic price range. Yeah, you know, the uh, the new DLC drops and just all <laughs> right. the weapons from the base game are no longer viable, right? Yeah, which is ultimately why when this news hit that, you know, or this rumor was created that a big part of the community went, uh, I would never play Pioneer if that was the case. And not only does... That's the thing with like creating Pioneer Horizons is it affects modern as well. So you almost have to create and print cards that are going to have influence in modern and then also be careful enough to not have them totally warp the, like the, the landscape in uh, EDH legacy and all of those other set, all of those other formats. The only thing it doesn't touch is standard. So you might as well, I don't know. It, it just seems like dangerous territory. Even if they did develop something, it almost feels like it would take Like, I remember when Gavin said it took five years to develop the Lord of the Rings set because you didn't want it to, like, warp too much and you have to be careful and everything has to have flavor and make sense. That's what modern or or Pioneer Horizons would ultimately have to compare itself to is, like, a set like that where the amount number of years put into it to design it properly would almost not be worth how damaging it would be to a format that's still very much in its infancy. So that's my two cents on it. It's an interesting topic because it's, I guess it's something we just haven't really experienced yet. We don't know where Pioneer is. And at this point, uh, the only thing I know that Mox down here in Seattle runs a Pioneer night on Tuesdays, but that is also competing with Commander Night. So the show out, like the number of people who actually show up isn't that high because every other table is filled with Commander players. So. We'll, we'll see how the format develops. I'm excited because, I mean, Grease Fang is also a deck that's really great in there. And then uh, Rakdos Midrange has had a lot of success as well. So there are some, a lot yet to discover and a, yet, a lot yet to dig up with Pioneer. Yeah, and it's it's also hurt by, like, in terms of branding, like, Historic has so much overlap with Pioneer, but one's an online-only format and one's a paper-only format. Right. And I love And they're not historic. quite the same. No, no. It's uh, the funny thing is that historic is like I feel like way crazier. Just the alchemy, like being able to like play those alchemy cards can sometimes uh well, it feels a lot like modern at times when you play like Oracle of the Alpha and have combos related to that and you just time walk your opponents out. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it really does um historic Obviously, those cards are balanced. They've been able to go into Arena and balance some more cards out so that it all makes sense and it all works well together. But it does scare the hell out of me sometimes. And that's why I like I would I would rather play Pioneer just due to the limited scope. And I kind of know what would be good in a way. It obviously takes experience. Today, we're talking about something that has a lot of meat on the bone. 
This is a topic that if you've ever listened to Man on the Rocks, which is a podcast hosted by um, a couple of dudes in the community, you can check them out. I'll put a link in the description below. They're amazing. And this is one of their, this is a topic that they covered in one of their first episodes. But as a player, you sort of have to grow. And this is how far ahead in growth they are in CDH and everything like that. I'm just hitting that point because I'm starting to get back into deck construction. And the topic is playing to not lose. Now, that might sound like playing to win. But I think we can all agree that that is they're complete two completely different things. Playing to win, it can be seen as aggressive, inconsiderate, turbo, like selfish play. Where playing to not lose is doing everything you can for the table and contributing to the dance so that you give yourself the best chance to win. Would you agree with that, Ritter? Uh, with that definition yeah, yeah i i think you know there's it a difference between the two things right mm-hmm. it, it's you know are you I, I don't know maybe a positive mentality versus a negative mentality it so like this requires a very retrospective uh view as well i think that every time you go into a game and this this like sort of gets me at times too but there are times when i sit down and i'm panicked almost immediately for sitting at a table or at a, in a tournament at the table, knowing there's pretty high stakes to every single game and the outcome of it. So being in this mindset of like calm playing, not playing to not lose uh, requires a cool head. And uh, ultimately your deck construction lends a lot to this and like a lot to the play style. And I've just been like, I've been playing, uh, Elevir like crazy. And there are times when I get such an advantage on the table that are like on the board and the board state, I'm thinking, oh, if I just go grab Sovereign Okaneka How, the next turn I can just punch face and I'll wipe the board out. I'll kill everybody and I'll win the game. But the margins are so slim in CDH sometimes that that one person who is just holding the answer can totally undo everything you're that you have set up because you didn't stabilize, you know, you didn't create a strong enough structure for yourself to survive through one piece of removal because I was playing to win and I was playing and I wasn't playing to not lose. Um, and I think there are some colors that do it better than others. There, obviously, when you're in five colors, you get access to everything. And this is why I'm sitting here and I'm wondering, like, I understand why clones have become such a massive part of the meta out here in the pacific northwest is because it allows players to win on top of other wins which is another form of playing to not lose and i'm just like uh you know atlas's uh stunt double lines and stuff like that is another example of like oh i have kenrith out i have the mana to reanimate and when you go for your thassa's oracle or whatever attempt to win or dock side or whatever, I'm just going to stunt double in on top, copy your dock side trigger, go on top of you and then get those triggers and then cycle through that a hundred million times, draw my entire library and win the game. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like being patient, being patient enough to uh, let the game come to you is uh, 
probably like the biggest thing with that, with like playing not to lose. Uh, there were a few timing incidents that I experienced over the break. So I was back in Wisconsin for all of you didn't know, we took a, a week break. I hope, I hope you missed us because we're back, but took a week break and I spent that time playing some magic. And there was a sequence where we decided like, Hey, we're playing high powered. And so it was a Elevere, Kinnon, Joyra, and a Gitrog monster. So two decks that were trying to turbo and that, well, one stacks deck, me, and then three decks that were trying to turbo out. So um, ultimately, I got a lock on the board with like uh, Draneth and a few other things. And the timing of it was that the Kinnon player really wanted to get Kinnon out early so that they could establish themselves. I had played a, a planes and a mana crypt and went for Draneth right away so that the other players could well it would just slow them down in general and so it came around to it where he played land passed and then on his second turn he went ahead and bounced the Draneth and then played Kinnon and passed without any answers or anything like that allowed it to go to the Gitrog monster and the Gitrog had a jeweled lotus and so land land jeweled lotus Gitrog's out hold on to your hold on to your seats fam you know like it's about to get crazy and they didn't do anything with that turn so they passed with me and i'm just like how do i how do i answer this how like had the Dranth just been able to stay in place excuse me i was sitting there just wondering like how could the sequencing have played out better instead of like aggressively pursuing the kinnon what can you do outside of that and ultimately it came down to like patience is can other, can these other players also interact at the table at the same time what more could i have done what more can i do throughout the course of this yeah. game I, I mean i think patience is good because like playing not to lose you have to consider like as long as your deck has an out um you can be in a situation where you need an answer to something but you don't necessarily need the answer in that moment now there's going to be times where you need the answer in that moment but like you don't have to like panic as long as you have confidence in your deck and you know how to play your deck and you have the answer in your deck and you have a way to like dig for it if you have to like in the moment that you need it just try not to lose like keep playing to win right and this is like where it came down where everyone we did have an answer at one point where dakmar salvage was pitched to the grave and the loop was about to begin and the kinnon player had an endurance in hand so they endurance sent the Dakmar back into the library and we were saved for a turn and it came around back to me and I had survival to fit us down on the board at this point and I had just drawn Sovereign Okanekahau and I knew I was like if I can just survive one more turn I'll play the Sovereign this turn and if it can get around to me one more time I can then punch two of these players out of the game and while that is like playing to win I was not in that moment playing to not lose because then the Gitrog monster just a stab, like tutored up in their upkeep, tutored up, vampire tutored the Dakmar back to the top. And all you all it requires of uh, Gitrog to go off is a discard outlet. And so they had the creature on the board where if I had just grabbed Linvala, used the survival of fittest, grabbed Linvala, it would have shut off everything. And then I would have just played, you know, like I would have just played the way I was going to the rest of the game and still won. I would have been able to shut it down and played to not lose versus like trying to like set up this aggressive 
one shot win. It would have taken me three more turns to win, but that's okay because it still means you win. Like it, it doesn't have to happen. The win doesn't have to come as soon as possible. You have to know when the right time is, and it it takes a lot of reps. It takes a lot as of reps. As long as you're the first person to win, it still counts. That's <laughs> that's true. But the thing is, is that if you try to be the first person to win, there's just a way higher chance that there's interaction waiting for you on the other side. And no, I mean, I mean, like when what I'm trying to say is like whenever your win happens, as long as you're the person that won. That's all that matters. Exactly. Like, you can wait for it. Yes. Yeah. And there are times when you shoot your shot. You know, that's why Grand Abolisher is the best, like, probably the best card out there to protect a win. Because it just means that nobody can interact with you outside of a Beseju or an Odawara. And the likelihood of them having those cards is super thin like it is not you also know whether or not you've seen it whether it's on the battlefield Mm -hmm. or in their graveyard if they're in the right colors for those abilities yep the amount of information Uh, touch touch the spirit realm also goes there like you you gotta look at all the uh, neon kamigawa channel stuff yes yeah and uh ultimately why tashana's tide binder has gotten so expensive and is a great answer to those abilities as well and why most abolishers if they're set up probably want a tide binder in the wings i i I just you know like that's one way if you put a an abolisher out go for it like you are set up to do it and sometimes abolisher can sit there for two or three turns before you know you set you set yourself up and you just swing all in and uh that is that is also playing to not lose having the right pieces now stacks are another sort of like a topic of conversation here. And uh, I think card like card, uh, the color pie and your card choice contributes to it immensely. Like Elevator being in green and white, I find myself finding slots for cards like everybody lives and I want to play angels grace or, you know, Teferi's protection, you know, like there are a few, those are huge uh, not losing cards right there. Yeah, you know, that's basically what they... Well, I mean, two of them say that. <laughs> two of them say, you cannot uh, you cannot lose the game and your opponents cannot win the game. And I think that uh, Teferi's protection doesn't really do that. Like, it just protects... It implies it. Strongly implies it. Yeah, yeah. It says, uh, well, your board state and you will not be there for when the other player wins the game. <laughs> You know, like, but it uh, it does definitely does like set you up. The thing about it is that if you are playing stacks and you Teferi's protection, you basically just lift the gates on everything, and everybody just has free reign until your next upkeep uh, or untap step. So it's kind of a that's that's one that can be a double edged sword. Obviously, the timing has to be correct, as with any win attempt, uh, Teferi's protection can help you get there. But if you're playing stacks. there's a whole nother layer of risk involved. There are also platinum angel type effects. If you're into reanimator strategies, I'm not sure if there are really any decks that want to play platinum angel at the moment. I think that there, that is a slot that probably wants a more aggressive card than that. But another card I put down was like cloud steel Kieran because in white, if you're trying to not lose and you're able to generate mana effectively enough, 
that might be one of the ways that you're able to protect the win on your side is by reconfiguring Cloud Steel Kieran to make sure that your opponents can't win the game. Yeah, it's and then if you're playing, it's it's just like all these different aspects, and that's why ultimately five color I feel like just rides the lightning and is able to like be so resilient as well. To, they can be aggressive, resilient, balanced, and recover so well through interaction. Maybe maybe five colors is the way. I think when we were playing, I, I mean, you you said like uh, you can check the tape, but. I think about four minutes and 30 seconds ago, you said that five color piles are the best decks. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Or something to that effect. It's like, the fact is that I know that and I, I have trouble um, with my own pride in deck building saying like, I will build five colors. I will play that um, due to some, uh, something wrong up here in this old coconut. Um just uh just got to put more effort in on that i feel like maybe is it i don't know is it sheer willpower that can get me there to to the win column more effectively uh i i mean it's the combination of those things like the people that are at the top of the ladder every time like have the sheer willpower but they're also playing the meta decks like yeah. it you know it, it has to be it's you know there there will be outliers there's always outliers but it's usually ends up being the best players playing the best decks because the best decks put them in the best, you know, situation to win, uh, the higher percentage of time. Right. Like, um, and I, I mean, you can have like pilots that are like geniuses with pet decks and stuff, but you know, again, if you're just looking at the numbers, it's, it's the best players playing the best decks rather than, you know, playing junk. Yeah. So I, I just pulled up, uh, EDH top 16 and, a. Big, like, we're just going to roll through, like, the top meta. And one, like, the top the top deck in all of, out of all tournament results is Blue Farm. So you're running four colors there. You have access to so many utility pieces. We obviously know that Blue Farm is an incredibly resilient deck because the card draw stapled to both commanders and access to certain things like Grand Abolisher um, and almost, too, like, too many access to too many two card combos like the combos the combo potential with these four colors and with these two commanders is much higher than a lot of these other decks out there so um it has incredible resiliency kinnon is the next one and i feel like kinnon is just such an outlier as far as this because it just pushes ahead and it is so quick uh and then the next deck is najila so five colors like i've been saying is probably the best having the best result in playing not to not lose tivit right behind it sisse weather light captain so out of the top five decks three of them are four or more colors and then there's a three color and a two color deck that just shows you that like when you look at these lists playing to not lose is far more effective than just like hyper aggressively playing to win we just see that four of these decks are playing to not lose where kinnon the card velocity is insane and it is always playing to win. So I uh, I wonder what because deck construction also uh, is to the person, right? And it reflects some of your personality, and it reflects um, how you play the game. And the pilot ultimately matters more than anything. 
I just wonder uh, what the right deck is for me to uh, eventually get my footing and on this whole like play to not lose thing. Well, how do you feel about Elevere? Like, what are the drawbacks? Is it just the parts of the color pie that you're missing? I think that what drew me to like well, Elevere, yeah, missing parts of the color pl- color pie is uh, frustrating because you can be there and you can set yourself up and create this like heavy stacks environment for your opponents to to meander their way through and right now i do feel like stacks variants of decks are the best decks in any meta due to the changing format of the game of how cdh is moving more towards like certain time limits and no extra turns and all that stacks decks have the advantage because just because you set stacks out doesn't mean the game can move slower so you can actually call judge on more people if they're biding their time or if they're like having a tough time sifting through the stacks it's like that's not my fault right like you have to be a good enough player to be able to navigate through that so stack stacks obviously wonderful i think that's what atlas has done so well in his strategy with and reflects his play style so well is that his kenrith deck is ultimately a stacks variant that allows him to play a land and pass and uh elevir doesn't have the ability to uh well and kenrith is obviously a very unique machine but elvir doesn't have the ability to win on the stack in any particular sense there are three other mm-hmm. turns that are going to happen before you get your next opportunity to interact or your next opportunity and you're going to try to win by combat game. which is limiting yes yeah so yeah. while i do love the deck and i think that it has potential to show up to a tournament and get top 16 the card draw on it i will say the card draw on the deck is outstanding and the more cards you see the more information you have the better chance you have to win or to not lose but um having the interaction which is why like i said having cards like everybody lives is essential for this particular two color like these two colors where like if you play white and blue you don't Actually, you probably wouldn't even have room for everybody lives because you'd be stacking your deck with all the free interaction and all the ways to stop your opponents from winning on the stack. And that is a, a color combination that has a, the, the tools to help you play to not lose versus like playing to win or being more aggressive. I think maybe that's the problem is when you dabble or you are a player who dabbles and plays in green-white is that you don't have uh, like access to any of those types of things where maybe Bant is what is the perfect balance that'll end up being what works for me. But um, yeah, didn't you want to build a uh, Tayam at some point? Well, Tayam is Tayam is lovely. I do love Tayam, but that is uh, Abzan where it's like, Oh, Abzan, sorry. Yeah. Black, white, green. And that deck is resilient. Like that's because they can win on the stack. And that's I, I love that deck so much. It is one of when it first came out in 2020. I was one of the pioneers on that, and just like uh, you can check out my Call Me Commander video where I talk all about it and explain all the different combos that I discovered at that time. But people have created these like really efficient lines with Tayom, like with the Money Changer guy and stuff like that. Um, but uh, again, it's one of those things where you're holding the fort down with stacks and 
interaction that is uh, recycled through like the permanents that hit your graveyard through milling. So uh, that that deck plays to not lose incredibly well. The I don't even know in Bant what you could actually have, but uh, you get access to like Ristic Study and Mr. Grimora and get access to more card draw. But I, I'm I'm really like I, I'm excited more than anything because this conversation I have smoke rolling out of my ears because my brain is trying to work uh, out all these different ways in my own playstyle how to be a better player how to you know ultimately result in getting more wins at the end of the day does that make sense makes sense to me yeah i uh i would see a doctor about the smoke coming out of your ears though sheesh i don't even know what they would say to me man they'd just be like i think you're uh you just need to calm down man like you just need okay. to chill out well, I, I feel like you would go to your GP and you would definitely get a referral to a specialist. Yeah, at a minimum, <laughs> and then the specialist would tell you to just chill out. Yeah, and because uh, uh, ultimately, if there's uh, smoke, there's fire, mm. and uh, that actually sounds like a good thing. If there's fire going on, man, something's in, something's working. So it's intense. Something's yeah, you're in there. you're you know you're inspired to to get there to to find that deck. It's my fiery passion. Yeah, that ultimately has smoke rolling out of my ears. Um, I ultimately what this is what this conversation uh, is meant to provoke is as a listener, look at your decks and like ultimately your play style and the results of all these games you play, and look at it and say, how could I have played to not, to not lose that game? Right? How could I have given myself the best chance to win? And reflecting on that is going to make it just going to lead you to new options, new new cards you may have never seen before, and uh, maybe look into other content creators uh, like deck lists and stuff like that, just to like see what everyone out there is playing. Like I think that's why EDH uh, Top Sixteen is one of the better tools out there, is because not only do you get to see what of uh, the top decks in any CDH tournament are you can click on it and you can see the placements of all of these different players, their win percentages, uh, everything. And what, at what time, because all of the dates from all tournaments are, are attached to it and they have the deck list sitting there too. So you can actually see like when, uh, you know, when Lord of the Rings came out, what was working before that and what changed after that? Obviously, the one ring and bowmasters are in every <laughs> every deck that it, they possibly can be in but it's like things like uh looking at let's say mox masters just in july you know just like seeing like oh in that era these strategies were more popular and this is what was working this is the top 16 so i can see what the like composition of strategies were like ultimately made it to the top and uh mimic some of those strategies so and uh if you like a particular player you can search the player too and uh find all the decks they've ever submitted and study who they are and if you know they're going to be at a tournament coming up and they're going to stand in your way like atlas atlas is always standing in my way i can uh, look at the deck list and uh ultimately strategize against those particular things so I uh, don't lose. 
and I win more than lose. I think winning more than losing is a great feeling. Yeah, I think that's one of the harder things to do out there, too. So if you've been in CDH or you've signed up for for a few tournaments, but you haven't quite seen it go 100% your way all the time, don't worry. The highest win rate percentage for any Tayom deck ever is 57%. That's and that's really good. If you go down just a little ways, 25% is not too far off. And if you're winning 25% of the games, you're actually doing pretty darn good as a player. You're giving yourself you stand on equal footing with everyone else at the table. It means you have an equal shot to winning. Well, if you feel like uh you have any input on this subject or Uh, how you have found the best way to not lose, you can leave a comment down below on the YouTube video. Make sure you hit that thumbs up, subscribe, and stay tuned for more notifications by ringing that bell. You can also find us on all major podcasting platforms. Make sure to leave a five-star review. It makes us look super duper cool because you're listening to the number one podcast on the internet for Magic the Gathering and Dr. Pepper. If you want to support the show, you can do so by finding us on Patreon. By becoming a supporter, you become an official Pepperhead. And your name turns Dr. Pepper Red in our Discord community. Huge shout out to all of our supporters so far. We love you. And thank you for sticking with us. Uh, and sorry about missing a week. The holidays were crazy. It just... I, Ritter, I, I just, just so many presents to open. And I don't know how we would have ever had time to, to record the podcast. I mean, we had a we had a drink, Doctor Pe- hot Doctor Pepper, with our families by the fire, as one does during the holidays, and you know we had to do all that stuff. Legitimately, I had hot Doctor Pepper over the holidays. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Legitimately, you can. Uh, and I'll t- I'll testify. Uh, my brother made it. He uh, we were having family Christmas at my dad's place, and he was like, he just busted out like four cans of Doctor Pepper, but I was making it wrong, like. Just just so you know, I was making hot Dr. Pepper wrong at the deli when we were selling it. How um, so? Apparently, all you need is Dr. Pepper and a lemon. So anyone out there who's trying to like make hot, hot Dr. Pepper for the first time, well, all you need is Dr. Pepper, a way to make it hot, and a couple slices of lemon because you pour the hot Dr. Pepper over the lemon and then it like permeates throughout and it is supposed to be more like a tea that way. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was way more fragrant than I was expecting. Where Okay, that's fun. Yeah, you know how like do you remember how I was making it before where it's like I had basically adding like added like mulling spices and stuff like that to it? Uh-huh. Yeah, that that was great and I think that was really good, but uh the lemon variant really uh really changed my perspective. I think that's a lighter, brighter, more exciting way to experience Hot Dr. Pepper. Yeah, you really just want to accentuate the uh, Dr. Pepper's natural spices, I think. Yeah, the natural soothing remedy of Hot Dr. Pepper. All right. Ready ready to get out of here? Let's rock. All right. We kick some ass today. We'll see you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye.